welcome to Value-Based Care Insights, brought to you by Illumina Health Partners, a national healthcare consulting firm focused on improving the strategic, financial, and operational performance of provider organizations. On this program, we will explore trends and share valuable insights on how health systems and medical groups can optimize their performance to meet the demands of this increasingly complex healthcare environment and shift to transform the delivery of care. Value-Based Care Insights is hosted by Daniel Marino, managing partner of Lumina Health Partners. Daniel has been in the industry for over three decades and specializes in shaping strategic initiatives for organizations in areas such as population health, clinical integration, physician alignment, information technology, and data analytics. For additional insights, visit luminahp.com and sign up for our newsletter. Dan, over to you. Welcome to Value-Based Care Insights. I'm your host, Daniel Marino. In today's episode, I want to spend some time talking about value-based care as it relates to the post-acute environment. Post-acute providers definitely have been challenged over the last number of years. And I think most of the challenge really comes in in the level of reimbursement. Most acute providers are have contracts with either Medicare or Medicaid, few of the commercials. But the really challenge, all of them, I think, are under some level of financial pressures. And yet they're such a critical part of the value-based care ecosystem, especially as we start to see a number of retiring baby boomers who have some level of, of post-acute needs. And out of that, we're seeing some real changes to the care models. So for instance, many of the Baby boomers really want this at-home care. So we're starting to see some of these resources shift to more of a, a sniff at the at-home model, if you will, or a hospital at home or home health, you know, really picking up up steam, but all of which has a significant value proposition to it and supports value-based care. But the question really comes down to how you structure these arrangements in such a way that it allows the post-acute providers to maybe share in some internal resources, to leverage that level of expertise, and just to create more of an integrated model and delivery of care. Well, I, I'm, I'm really excited today to, to have a guest um, with us. He's been on the program before. Um, a great guy. I've worked with him very closely on, on a few different client engagements. Hal Katz. Hal is a partner with Hush Blackwell. He leads the healthcare uh, practice and, and works with a number of organizations around the country. Very, very knowledgeable in, in this as well as other aspects of uh, provider integration network. So Hal, welcome to the program. Dan, always great to be with you. Always love the chance to be on your show. And of course, uh, to work with you out in the industry. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, thanks, Hal, for that. I appreciate it. So, in in working with some of the 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 post acute providers, um, you know, and, and especially as they're giving consideration to moving into value based care, what are some of the challenges that you're seeing? You set it up nicely, Dan. The points that you laid out are definitely some of the same things that I'm seeing in terms of challenges, be it funding and reimbursement, staffing challenges, complexity of uh, the industry, how that's changing, as well as the conditions uh, that patients 
are experiencing. And then lastly, patients are becoming very picky where they want their service, how they want their service. It's a very competitive market, lots of pressures uh, within the space from payers, health systems, and the individual consumer. Yeah. And it's such a critical component of really the care model, right? So especially when you see patients who have some level of an acute care visit, right? And they're getting discharged. Many of them are being discharged to some level of a, a post-acute facility, whether it's skilled nursing or a senior level facility, or even a rehab facility. So that integration becomes so critical. And, and I see such a, a, a divergence, if you will, on the, the different care models, right? So th there's that lack of true integrated clinical care that, that's occurring between the post-acute environment and the hospitals. Are, are you seeing as these networks are starting to be formed, or maybe this is the reason why these networks are being starting to be formed, to create a little bit more integration, a little more synergy between the post-acute providers and the acute care providers? And I am, uh, for all the reasons we've just laid out, these providers are having to identify the other types of care support needed to get the patient what the patient needs to ensure that there are these smooth transitions of care from a more acute facility to the post-acute setting. And they can't do it on their own. Right. Um, historically, that's what's happened. They've, they've just tried to go out and hire people to provide those services in-house. Uh, and they've looked across the, the healthcare space, and they've seen this network model. They've seen how um, ancillary providers, be it therapists um, and other social services, have been pulled in through independent contractor types of arrangements uh, to help manage the needs of the patient uh, and to meet the, the quality standards that are, that are expected for, for the patient outcomes. And that model has been su successful. So, so now we see the post- acute uh, space experimenting with networks, mm -hmm. uh, clinically integrated networks. Um, I would say we're on the earlier stages of that model, uh, but we are quickly seeing markets across the country um, have more and more activity uh, using that CIN approach. So when, and I am a, I'm a huge proponent, as I've talked about on this program time and time again, huge proponent of um integrated provider networks and, and clinically integrated models. I, I just think in my experience, I've seen so much value coming out of that when you have the providers come together to really begin to efficiently manage patients. It reduces the cost of care, produces some incredible, incredible outcomes. When we look at forming these clinically integrated networks in the post-acute space, where are they starting? Is it is it home health providers coming together to form a home health CIN? Is it the skilled nursing facilities coming together to form a CIN? Or, or maybe it's it's a number of the post-acute providers coming together to find a to to almost produce a very longitudinal-based CIN. What, where are you seeing the starting point? Dan, it's really market specific. I mean, you mm -hmm. you know that so well in healthcare. You see in one market, you see in one market. Um, it depends on the sophistication of the the players in that market, the degree in which they they have uh, a uh, managed care uh, market, be it Medicare managed care, Medicare Advantage specifically, the ACO, 
uh, penetration, be it Medicare or otherwise, and what types of value-based arrangements the hospitals um, are entering into in that market. So it really depends. We can see um, situations where the hospital, the health system is actually the convener uh, for a CIN um, to a established, uh, fairly sophisticated post-acute care provider leading the way to bring in other post-acute care providers uh, to, to create the network and identify what other supporting providers should be included as participating providers in the network. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, you clearly have to have one anchor organization, right? That, that has the vision and is driving a lot of it. And as you mentioned, I mean, I think, you know, hospitals are in a unique position to possibly do that. Are you seeing private equity getting involved as the catalyst to creating these networks, or is it really more of the either the post-acute providers or, you know, maybe the hospitals kind of leading the way? I do have at least one example of private equity helping facilitate a lead agency uh, create a network. So the the agency, I mean, in in this particular situation, there's there's um, a lot of alignment with the players. Um, particularly the, a health plan who's very interested, a national health plan that sees the value of a clinically integrated network uh, focused on this uh, sector. Uh, and then the uh, post-acute care provider having a private equity investor that uh, wants to fund the creating the creation of the network. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this situation, uh, uh, there's only a few um, uh, post-acute care providers that will also be an owner of the CIN, hmm. but there is that opportunity to invest. There's really two opportunities. They can invest and participate as a provider or just uh, participate as a provider. And, and that's an interesting, interesting model because, you know, as you know, it's expensive to create this, right? I mean, you've got to build the infrastructure and the infrastructure supports the network and and supports the performance. Many post-acute um, providers they, they don't have the funds to invest it. They don't have the the reserves. So, you know, in my mind, having some level of private equity does come with some opportunities. But I think it also comes with some challenges, and that's where I guess the the legal component comes into place as you're starting to structure it. For sure, for sure, negotiating those transaction documents, governance, reserve powers. Um, becomes the main focus uh, when structuring that relationship with the investor. Related for this particular scenario on the capital consideration, it helps when you have a an eager health plan. You know, often they will be willing to put up some capital. They will also be willing to pay uh, a per member per month uh, reimbursement rate, so that there is some real revenue that starts to flow immediately into. Uh, the CIN uh, based on the number of uh, attributed lives in a particular market. So that that helps um, kind of spread both the risk um, and the uh, negotiating leverage with the private equity investor. It's not all on them. Uh, the, the, the CIN is also bringing a payer to the table uh, for day one uh, which, you know, frankly, is not all, always or even often the case. Usually you have to build it and hope that they will come mm-hmm. in the CIN world. 
But in this particular case, and I think there are other opportunities across the country, you have health plans that are so that see such value uh, in this sector that they're willing to help facilitate the development of the CIN on day one. If you're just tuning in, I'm Daniel Marino. You're listening to Value-Based Care Insights. I'm here with Hal Katz, partner with Hush Blackwell, and we are talking about post-acute strategies to advance into value-based care. And I'm going to build on that, Hal, um, because I think it's an interesting point that you just brought up. One of the big challenges the CINs have is to create some type of a tangible uh, contractual arrangement with a payer, right? So you can start to to get some level of, of dollars and some 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 revenue flowing into the to the CIN. I think your the the structure of aligning with the payers become really important. But I think it's also a challenge, right? So as are it's sort of the chicken and the egg, right? Do you build the entity first and create the infrastructure before you have the contract? Or do you create some level of contract that allows you to invest in the infrastructure? Where are you seeing that really come into play? Again, it's market by market. If there is a market where there is a good relationship um, or an existing relationship with an acute care provider, you know, call it a larger acute care provider and a health system, or not a health system, but a health plan, um, starting those conversations, is there an interest? If we built this, would you uh, be interested in a relationship? What would that look like? Uh, so you have uh, some sense of whether they're going to uh, contract with you if mm-hmm. you build it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then I, I can't help but think, you know, so I, I I feel like that's a great approach because it aligns the interests of the health plan and it aligns the interests of the post-acute providers, assuming that it's structured right. But I can't help but think that the hospitals would be a little nervous in that regard, right? Because all of a sudden they're they're managing that. So how does how do you manage that hospital relationship? Do you create then a separate almost third contractual relationship with the hospital? based on alignment with maybe their risk-based contracts or some of their performance-based contracts? Or do you almost create a single contracting mechanism across all of the lives? Great question, Dan. In the in the few situations that I've been involved in, the, the acute care network has leaned on the health plans contracts with the um, uh, hospitals. Uh, at least in these markets, there, there, there has been confidence in the care that has been provided and the willingness to coordinate without a, a more formal or structured arrangement. The CIN does um, is impacted based on uh, the performance of the hospital. If hospital costs um, are are higher than what they they should have mm-hmm. been. Um, uh, they can be impacted. So, you know, there there is some risk there. But so far, I have not seen those arrangements include a direct contractual uh, relationship between the the network and the hospital system. Yeah, and I, I you know, that's and, and there's so much opportunity there for the hospital side because one of the things that we often see is from the hospital perspective, their readmission rates visits to the ER, you know, some of that comes as a result of 
a lack of clinical efficiencies that occur within the post-acute arena. So by having them collaborate, there is a direct opportunity there. But I guess it really comes down to how you how you create that alignment um, and who the partners are. Um, Amen. And and Dan, if I could just add, I mean, there there is you know almost an equal uh, financial slash economic opportunity for acute care providers uh, to align with a a health system uh, if that health system has its own ACO, its own right. value-based care model that's large enough to support this kind of effort. Um, it can have the same kind of financial benefits as what we're talking about with a payer. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. What The post-acute environment is heavily regulated. Mm. Are there... Um, you know, you, you and and of course, when you build a CIN, it, there are also some regulatory impacts, right, related to FTC requirements and legal aspect around clinical integration and so forth. Um, do those change, or are there other things that need to be specifically focused on in the post-acute environment, given all the regula regulations and the regulatory requirements, or is it pretty much aligned with the general thinking of clinical integration? Great question, Dan. It's pretty much in line with the traditional issues that we face when creating a clinically integrated network uh, for any other provider type, physicians and across the board. Uh, yeah. I, and I, I do want to emphasize that point, especially when it comes to the antitrust considerations and, and remind people that getting together uh, solely for the purpose of getting better reimbursement rates uh, is seen by the Federal Trade Commission as anti-competitive. So um, even in the early exploratory uh, stage of uh, uh, this kind of uh, business relationship arrangement, uh, we, we strongly uh, advise uh, the parties to avoid using that kind of description for this effort. Um, providers can definitely, or competitors can definitely get together to explore how to create a, a business that is going to improve care, improve access, uh, improve competition, uh, respond to market demands, market pressures, but we don't want to in, incorrectly frame it as a way of uh, increasing reimbursement rates from payers. Yeah, great point. Great point, Hal, because I think a lot of folks don't, don't take that into consideration. And at the end of the day, the reason why organizations need to do this is they really do need to emphasize uh, to, to increase the emphasis on their value-based performance, right? So that's managing cost of care, managing quality, managing efficiencies, managing utilization and and so forth. Um, I couldn't agree more. So in, in in thinking through that, you know, I think that the 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 key documents, the key legal aspects is really thinking through, you know, what's the bylaws of the organization, how you're going to structure it. And then I would assume, you know, the participation agreements become really critical, right? Defining sort of the rules of the road. Exactly. Exactly. You know, from the participating provider agreement, as as you know, to policies and procedures uh, that are put in place to ensure quality measures, 
um, are obtained, achieved, and how corrective action is implemented. Yeah. So when so I recently had a conversation with a um, home health organization. They were interested in, in sort of forming their home health CIN. Um, their challenge was really getting the groups together, right? Because they saw that there were different levels of of quality and uh, performance. And plus, you know, it was predominantly in the home health world, 90% of the reimbursement comes from Medicare. Now, some of that is changing as MA is occurring, but commercials haven't historically played a large role. What are you seeing as, as some of the other big challenges with moving this forward as you're, as, as you're starting to have initial discussions with either home health or skilled nursing or other post-acute providers as they start to think about pulling this together? There has to be a need, of course, uh, in a need and an opportunity. So again, back to the, the market specifics, the, the, the providers have to feel the pressure uh, uh, that, that we've described as being the motivation for coming together to create a more competitive product. If right. we don't have that, then it's tough to motivate a yeah. part to create this kind of arrangement. But I, I would say most providers are at least aware of this trend that's happening, even if it's not in their backyard. They know that this is happening across the country in traditional Medicare, Medicare Advantage, moving to commercial. Yeah, moving to risk-based contracts. I mean, all of those, all of those areas. And I and I think, I mean, you're spot on. You have to define the need and they have to define the value proposition, right? I mean, sort of as we kind of say, define why. Why do you want to do this? Because <laughs> it takes work and it takes resources. Yeah. Well, how I mean, this has and, been and to your to your point, Dan, just to to emphasize that it takes a lot of work. So yeah, it can't just be an exercise if people don't really believe in in the value, the benefits that will come from this hard work. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely true. Well, if, if any of our listeners today, um, any of our providers in particular, are interested in, in moving forward with this, and you know, what's the one piece of advice maybe you could share with some of our listeners? Where would they start? Great question, Dan. <laughs> See, that's my job, Hal. I always throw out these. <laughs> well, besides hiring someone like you or me, uh, <laughs> they've got to do their research. Uh, you know, one, they have to understand their own organization. How are they doing? What's happening in their market? Uh, there, there are great um, publications out there uh, that uh, have been created by uh, trade associations and advisors like like the both of us that that talk about these issues in more detail. That is the homework. And then in all seriousness, finding the right advisor to at least guide them um, on the options and, and helping them uh, determine if this makes sense for them uh, and if so, um, how to get there. Yeah, no, I, I I agree with you. And and I think doing the research and really getting the groups together to almost create the vision. I know a lot of times when I when folks come to me and they say, well, we want to start a clinically integrated network, I often say, okay, have you done any type of um, visioning, you know, discussions with some of your partners to sort of define why you want to do it? I mean, that's that's the first thing. And if you don't have that commitment, there's no sense spending the money on anything or going any further. So very true. Well, Hal, this is great. I really, I, I appreciate the time. Great discussion. I know it's a, it's an area that is of is a real importance to to many of our listeners. 
Um, if any of our listeners or, or folks, um, you know, who, who may be listening in now or, or, or down the road, they want to get a hold of you, um, you share your email address or maybe direct them to your, to your website or, or anything in that regard. Absolutely. Um, I, I easily found on LinkedIn, how cats with hush Blackwell, uh, of course, uh, hushblackwell.com is our website. You can also find me there. Uh, my email address is hal.cats at hushblackwell.com, H-A-L.K-A-T-Z at hushblackwell.com. My phone number is 512-703-5715. And I'd love to talk with anybody who's interested in learning more about this type of business arrangement. Well, Hal, it's it's great. And I would definitely encourage our our listeners to reach out. You know, Hal has uh he's got a great approach with working with with providers and any type of um, these value-based contracting and and certainly setting up the entities. Hal, thanks again for joining today. I love having you on the program. Just you, you bring a, a wealth of knowledge and great conversation. Really appreciate it. Dan, always great to be with you. Thanks for including me today. And I want to thank everyone today, you, our listeners, for tuning in. Really appreciate it. And until our next insight, I am Daniel Marino bringing you 30 minutes of value to your day. Take care. Are you at a crossroad with value-based care? Do you need to chart a future strategy or improve your organizational performance? Visit us at LuminaHP.com to learn more about our consulting services and leadership development programs. Also, you can sign up for our newsletter on our website and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. For more information about value-based care insights, visit the program's page on healthcareradionow.com or luminahp.com. Join the conversation using our hashtag VBCinsights. We are Lumina Health Partners. Thank you for joining us today. Until the next value-based care insight, stay well.